Welcome to the Forerunner Church Podcast, where we highlight key messages and themes related to the body of Christ, inviting you to connect with our spiritual family as we grow in passion for Jesus and compassion for people. For more information, visit forerunnerchurch.com. Jeremy. Good morning. I have truly been loving the series on Ephesians that Isaac has been doing. I honestly think if uh, there's a lot, there's a lot in the word, so it's, you know, it's hard to get it all, but I honestly think a church could take one chapter of Ephesians and spend six months on it and literally spend three years going through the book. And at the end of those three years, none of the people of that church would regret uh, a single message or Sunday or time or thoughtfulness or prayer given to the riches of this book. So I want to continue and add to that, hopefully in the grace of God, By the way, happy Moravian Outpouring Day. That's today, almost 300 years ago in 1727, on today, August 13th, what is called the Moravian Outpouring happened. And that community has been such an inspiration to this community over the years. And so I just want to connect you for a moment that that history is rolling down. And almost 300 years ago, 297 years ago today, that happened. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for uh, the riches of your word and the riches of your inheritance in the saints. God, we want to be a people that fully possess you and are fully possessed by you. So anoint the word today to that end in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a young father, maybe 30 years old, 30-ish, I feel like this is maybe a little bit hot, if, if you can. Uh, maybe 30 years old. I had a six-year-old and a four-year-old, Hanson and Evan. And I like to do, as fathers do, you know, kind of fun things to stir the adventure in their soul. And they were either five and three or six and four. I don't remember. Maybe five and three. And so one night... I snuck into their room, and uh, it was about one in the morning. They were sound asleep. I snuck into their room, and I gave them each a flashlight, and I said, shh, don't tell anyone. Come with me. They're bleary-eyed and waking up, but it doesn't take long for that adventure to take over a little boy's soul. So they turned on their flashlight, and we didn't have a big house, but I kind of made this winding route, you know, past the couch. Okay, get down, get down. We have to hide. And, oh, turn off your flashlight, turn off your flashlight. Then we crawl across the floor into the kitchen. And then I look at them and say, this isn't, we can't stay here. We have to go farther. And so we went outside at 1 a.m. with the flashlights. Turn them on, follow me. And we zoomed over to this tree and hid. And then, now by now, they are wide awake. They just, 
they don't know what's about to happen, but it's going to be good. And we work our way back over the course of five, six, seven minutes. Could have been a lifetime adventure for them. It was actually very brief. We work our way back. We had one of those uh, wood-built stick frame playground things in the back. A little tower with a slide. I said, we've got to get to the top of that. Of course, the ladder is right there. It's not that high up. They played on it a thousand times. But this might as well have been a colony on Mars. And so we climbed up inside there, and I had already prepared Oreos and goldfish crackers and, you know, little soda cans. And we sat there at 1 a.m., and we had this feast in the dark, uh, achieving this prize in the night. To this day, they'll, they'll say that was one of the greatest nights of their life. <laughs> Well, I just want you to put a bookmark in that thought, and I'm going to return to it, because it actually relates to what I'm going to talk about. I want to talk about this concept that Paul uh, explains to the Ephesians about riches in heavenly places. See, the manner in which God fashioned... By the way, if you don't have notes, you can raise your hand. Notes are online. If you don't have notes, raise your hand and and some folks will come by. I meant to mention that. There's only a couple here, but just keep your hand up and they'll come by. So I want to go back to the beginning because Ephesians isn't starting a conversation. It's advancing a conversation that goes all the way back to the very beginning. God has constructed the world in a manner that affords us layer by layer Period of time by period of time, he's just stacking the narrative with insights into how humans are designed, how reality is constructed, and therefore creation itself bears witness to how a human being can have the most meaningful life possible. I am greatly concerned in, for myself and for the church at large, no less even among such a rich community, that we would somehow live below a spiritual poverty line because we don't understand what God has prepared for us or made available to us or somehow, whether by neglect or unbelief or ignorance, not know how to possess those things that he has freely made available to us. That's one reason the Holy Spirit indwells us. I'm in section A right at the beginning of the introduction. So that we can understand the things freely given to us by God. Now if God has freely given something, it's one thing for me to not want to be presumptuous about something that he hasn't given to me. Like, I don't get to be the guy that binds Satan with a chain at the end of the age, right? God, I just really want that role. Let me be the one, God. No, that's a degree of presumption that's outside of something he's given to me. But how foolish, how poverty-stricken, how wasteful, to neglect to lay hold of what he has freely given. 
The natural person does not accept the things of God. Does not accept. The natural person does not accept the things of God. You can be a believer and live with a natural mindset that actually resists receiving or laying hold of things he's freely given. We all have areas where we operate in more unbelief than belief or more ignorance than knowledge. And very likely in those areas, there are things he has made available to us that could change our mindset or our circumstance for whatever we're dealing with that makes us feel beat down by that situation. But through a spirit of revelation and faith to lay hold, the dynamics of that situation could change if we knew what we had available to us. But the natural person doesn't accept these things. It says they're folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Well, this morning, I want to spend the next 30 minutes inviting us into a spiritual discernment cycle. I believe that we are living in days of inheritance. I believe that there are, 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 there's a storyline that God has had all of history on. And for it to begin to reach the, the period of birth pangs and turmoil and glory. For it to reach the transition from one age to the next age. The age to come. Is to intensify the need for us not to be naturally minded and spiritually ignorant and uh, impoverished in our resources. No, we need to discern more than ever. We need to know how to be heavenly minded. The problem is not, almost never, the prob- almost never is the problem that, as the old adage says, you're too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. The problem is typically quite the opposite. Most believers are not nearly heavenly minded enough to be of earthly good. Because it's out of those realms, as we get into Ephesians, that we're going to see he's actually made available everything we need. Well, if we are going to possess an inheritance, to possess, let her be there, what has been given, we must first see, understand, be granted access. Believe, receive, and hold. Possession is not automatic just because you know it's there. There's actually a process by which it begins with you knowing it's there. Discern that. But then there's a sequence of events in your own soul and life and experience that have to happen before you actually possess what has been made available. Well, Ephesians is one of those books. It's a book of revelation and a handbook for possession. An author named Stanley Fish wrote a a book called How to Write a Sentence and How to Read One. And in this book, he's, he's just kind of breaking down effective writing, and he makes the point. There's a number of sentence structures But he he talks about what's called a subordinating sentence. And that is a sentence that's built around a rather simple, basic idea, a phrase or two. But then the subordinating sentence 
explodes the meaning of that by adding phrase after phrase after phrase that takes what might be an otherwise simple and basic idea and adds riches and layers and depth to it. Well, part of the reason Isaac has been moving patiently, and I'm so glad he is, phrase by phrase, Ephesians chapter 1 is one of the most densely packed (laughs) series of revelations in all of Scripture. You can drown yourself in a phrase and discover phrase after phrase becomes an ocean of delight. So when we, when we read these, these first few verses, Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, we see Paul doing one of the most exhaustive subordinating sentences in all of Scripture. In the ESV, your uh, NASB, NIV, they're all going to be within two or three or four words of each other. But this is an uninterrupted 257-word sentence. The entire Gettysburg Address was only 272 words. 257 words in English, it's over 200 words in the Greek. And when you read it, the commas and periods are are imposed by translators so that we can take a breath, (laughs) so that we can pause. And no doubt when it was delivered, there were pauses. But in the Greek, there is no punctuation for over 200 words. And and, and it's a typo there. It's not in Greek, 257 words. It's in English, 257. But in the Greek, over 200 without punctuation. And it's almost like Paul can't, Move fast enough. When someone is using that many words to describe something, it's not because they actually have a command of the material. It's because they're out of their depth. Now think about that. Paul being out of his depth to communicate what we receive in Ephesians and we go, wow, I could spend a lifetime trying to get this. And Paul says, that's the point. I pray that the eyes of your spirit would be enlightened, that you would know the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? He brought about you know, spiritual blessings in heavenly places, adoption and sonship. You can read through those verses, and you're going to see this theme of inheritance over and over again. In fact, I'm just going to skim that, because I'm going to concentrate on verse 3. But verse 4 He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. There's a time element to this where God knew something from the beginning and he knew you. And he chose you before there was anything. He said, I choose you. He predestined us. What? For adoption as sons. Why does that matter? Because only a son can receive an inheritance. He chose you before the foundation of the world. He predestined you. And then it goes through the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, the mystery of his will, because there's something coming in the fullness of time. And so verse 11, in him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been again predestined according to the counsel of his will. So verse 13 to verse 13 and 14, that's why we were sealed with the promise, promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance 
What? Verse 14 ends with, so that we may take possession of it. So this 257 word subordinate sentence is all about the riches of God and the inheritance he wants us to see in those riches. That it's actually for us. That it has been prepared for us. That it's been prepared for a very long time for us. And that we are meant to receive it, which is why he gave us the Holy Spirit to work within us to produce revelation, understanding, and faith to actually lay hold of it so that we can fully possess our inheritance. I don't want a partial inheritance. I don't want it from my natural father, much less my heavenly father. Well, therefore, this entire sentence... This 257 words that follows begins with a key thought for everything to come. Every translation agrees. All the modern major translations, they don't deviate on this language. Believers in verse 3 have been blessed with every, say the word every, every, not some, not partial, Not enough to get you by. Believers have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. And this is where immediately unbelief can creep in and we can say, I don't feel blessed. I'm going through a hard time. I'm struggling. I haven't felt blessed in years. Well, there's actually a logic and an order to this. That is part of what I want to explore today. It's not just that you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. It's that those blessings exist somewhere. And they exist in heavenly places. Now we know the rest of the verse in heavenly places in Christ. We know that it's all about Christ. We don't want heaven without Jesus. That's not heaven. So that's not the argument I'm making. What I am saying is that God prepared something beforehand. Just like when I went earlier that night up into the little play tower and I put the Cheez-Its and the Oreos and the soda. And then I waited for hours with a sense of anticipation. Listen, I had as much fun as they did. I waited for hours for them to fall asleep and be good and asleep. And then what I did was I put a spirit of revelation in their hands with a flashlight so they could see where they're going. And I wove a story for them so that they could understand the immensity of what we were about to do. And then by the time they got up into that high place, for us, you know, it's this tall, but for them, they had to move from down below to up above in the dark to discover the treasure that I had prepared for them. Now, if I, being an imperfect and evil man as a father, know how to give good gifts to my children, how much more does our Heavenly Father know how to give gifts to us? Heavenly places... It's the Greek word epiranos. It's an adjective. I just put a couple of details here. I'm not going to spend too much time. Just notice in the Greek, there's 
There's a, a, you know, singular and plural. There's present tense, past tense. This is the dative, neuter, plural. The point is, it's places. It's heavenly places. There is a plural dimension to this. Now, the definition of the word is heavenly in respect of locality or in respect of essence and character, but by itself, it doesn't carry the, the, the sense of a precise location. So we have multiple heavens that are to be discovered. Okay, let's keep going. I want to bounce back for a second to Genesis 1. Because I, I'm telling you from the very beginning, we just read in Ephesians 1, this was all put in place before the foundation of the world. So now we're going to go back to the foundation of the world and we're going to discover the, uh, the manner in which God ordered reality so that he could bring us to a place where we lay hold of our inheritance. And so it all starts in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Earth, singular, heavens, plural. It's plural in the Hebrew, it's plural in the Greek. Now, we can understand from this a number of things, and we have kind of a traditional theology that there's three heavens, and that's what we read into this. There's the, the lower heaven, the first heaven, the second, and that's kind of like the, the realm of the clouds, and then beyond that is the realm of the stars, and then beyond that is the third heaven where God dwells. I, I don't find fault with that. I just don't think that's the end of the story. We can even talk about uh, uh, earth and heaven in terms of dimensions, and I find it useful in terms of, of really applying some redeemed imagination to this, I find it useful actually to get away from the word heaven when we're talking about what I'm talking about specifically. Because when we talk about heavenly places, Isaac talked about it last week. We're almost so conditioned by a certain kind of religiosity to imagine that heaven is about sitting on a cloud, playing a harp. I mean, this community knows better than most that that's not what heaven is about. And yet... The, the language has a kind of uh, gravity to it that pulls our imagination down rather than setting it free. So I want to suggest the word realms. Some of the translation use that. Heavenly realms. Realms is a word connecting to kingship. But it also kind of frees us from some of the, 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 the harp and wings and cloud uh, baggage. And so as you read through Ephesians yourself, I want to encourage you to think about that word realms. But there are multiple heavens, multiple realms. Both Genesis and Ephesians agree. In fact, uh, 1 Kings 8, 2 Chronicles 2 and 6, they speak of the highest heaven. Deuteronomy 10 speaks of the heaven of heavens. We know that all things were created, heaven and earth, both visible and invisible. In other words, we are in a realm right now, and there is an invisible realm right now that is as real, or perhaps we might even say even more real, than this realm. 
But what we see and know and experience is this realm, and we feel limited by what we see and know and experience, while at the same time in Christ, heaven and earth, visible and invisible, have all been created by him and exist and are sustained in him. Well, we know the idea of realms within realms. I'm at the top of page two. We know the idea of realms within realms. We were taught it. When I was a kid in school, it was, you know, you have the, the realm of creation, and that is the mineral, plant, and animal kingdoms, right? So within creation, there's multiple kingdoms, multiple realms. Over the last few years in the church, this idea of seven mountains has been popularized, well, what is that saying? It's saying within the realm of human experience, we could talk about these multiple other realms that are meant to be influenced by the gospel. The realm of business, the realm of, of uh, uh, the church, the realm of family, the realm of media, arts and entertainment. These are realms within realms that we synthesize into the everyday understanding of our existence, but it's important to tease them out and just realize a place is not only a place and a realm is not only a realm, it can contain multiple realms within it. And I think that's part of what scripture is alluding to. Because secondly, as I've stated, the order of creation reveals the inherent logic of our existence. Here's what I mean by that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then it outlines a process by which life was not only to be created, but sustained. So plants that depend on photosynthesis were not created before there was light. Light was created first, and then plants. Fish were not created before there was water. Humans were not created before there was an atmosphere and land. In other words, that word atmosphere is another good synonym to kind of put with realms. God furnishes an atmosphere that is conducive to life. It's conducive to the kind of life that he has in mind. So water is not a conducive atmosphere for me to live in. It's essential to my being but a fish thrives in water. So God didn't reverse the order and produce life and then try to figure out what it needed. He produced what it needed and then brought them into it. Now, if you just think about that for a moment, you'll see God's strategy for the earth is to climatize it with heaven. And therefore, the enemy's strategy in opposing him is to climatize it with hell. If you've ever watched a science fiction movie where, you know, it's a, we're carbon-based, we breathe oxygen, we excel, expel carbon dioxide, but an alien race comes and they're like, no, they inhale carbon dioxide or they're silicone-based, or some other scenario, what you will see often in the plots of these kind of movies is them trying to take advantage of the natural resources but change the atmosphere to be more suitable to their needs and their existence. 
And so you see earth becoming an alien atmosphere that threatens the viability of humanity but causes them to flourish. If we look across the earth right now, you see the climate being changed to something that is far more demonic, demonic than holy. Why? Because the enemy is doing things, in a sense it appears, more successfully than the church in taking areas, laws, seven mountains, realms within realms, and making them quite habitable and, and uh, uh, friendly to their agenda and hostile to the kingdom of God. Well, if we're going to understand how to possess our inheritance, we have to begin to see that there are uh, dynamic powers engaged in resisting you receiving your inheritance. And that's exactly what's happening in Ephesians. Roman numeral three. I'm going to talk about seven types of realms. And others could be added. Others could be subtracted. You could have great insight into this. But I just want to give you food for thought. I want to get, your, I want to get you humming on this. I want to get you thinking, discerning of spiritual things. While Isaac takes us through Ephesians, which, by the way, is considered the high watermark in that branch of theology known as ecclesiology. So when the ecclesia, or the way the church works, is studied, that's called ecclesiology. And scholars unanimously agree that Ephesians is Paul's master treatise on the, uh, the ecclesia. And defining an orthodox ecclesiology. Well, it's no accident in my mind that Ephesians therefore reveals more about the ecclesia, more about our positioning in God's plan and purpose and heart, and heavenly realms than any other book. In fact, that phrase, heavenly places, that word epiranos, is mentioned five times in Ephesians, and each time adds something to the conversation. So let's go through this. The first of these realms is where we start with this 257-word sentence. God has given, God has supplied every one of our needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's actually Philippians 4, sorry. I wanted to set that up as context. Paul, to the, to, to the Philippians, to the uh, people of Philippi, the church at Philippi, he adds this idea of God supplying every need according to his riches. What's beautiful about that is he, su he supplies according to his definition. I often ask God to supply according to my need. He's like, no, that's not how I do it. I'll supply according to my riches, which are far in, in excess of my need. Whatever your need is, don't ask God to answer your need. Ask him to supply according to his riches. Well, this realm of spiritual blessings has supply, anointing, provision, healing, miracles. And so I want to I lay this out 
these spiritual blessings in Ephesians, and then I'll keep going with a few more types of realms. I've got to move quickly. Ephesians 1.3, every spiritual blessing is in heavenly places. I'm going to give just a couple more examples on this. When my wife turned 50 years old, months in advance, I started composing a book for her. Uh, I, I sent it to her friends in California, her friends in Oklahoma, her friends across the United States, people here in Kansas City, at, to, to write a page or share photos and stories so that by the time she turned 50, she had this treasure book of, of, of dear friends and memories put together for her. Same thing, same idea. I'm working on something in advance that I know will be a treasure to my wife's heart. And I know it's there. She doesn't yet know it's there, but it's coming. It's a matter of time until there is an appointed hour for her to step into a supply that she didn't know she had. When you plan a surprise or a gift for your spouse or your parents or your kids, but also think of prophetic words in this way. When you receive a prophetic word, there is something of the eternal spirit of God that is saying, I want you to know about a realm I've prepared for you. I want you to know about a supply line. I want you to know about a, a, a part of your destiny. Why? So that you can get out your flashlight and go on the adventure. To find what he has laid up in store for you. Every day in the GPR, the prophetic teams help people find and touch this realm of God's riches for their lives. But really, we could go back even further. 1983, Bob Jones comes to Mike Bickle. Every time we hear this story, I'm struck with some new sense of wonder, as we all are. Basically, 1983, Bob Jones comes and says, Mike, you don't get any of this. I knew you'd be dull, but I didn't know you'd be that dull. Right? The story Mike has told time and time again about the destiny and calling on you. The reason you have gathered here is because a realm was opened up to Mike in 1983 of God's purpose for the earth and the supply and grace that he would bring in miracle confirmation after miracle confirmation. But if we could boil it down, Bob Jones was basically saying, Mike, there's a place I've prepared for you. There's a realm. In fact, part of the glory of the prayer room is we keep entering that realm and sustaining that realm. It's why people sit down in the prayer room and they weep. It's why people come here from all over the world because it's a greenhouse that climatizes their soul for their calling in God. They sit there and they drink the oxygen-rich environment of God's beauty. Why? Because something happened in 1983 and even though Mike didn't understand it and others didn't understand it, God patiently and faithfully kept the flashlight in their hands, kept adding new pieces until finally in 99, something launches. But they were faithful to do the little things along the way. 
And then something launches. We're heading into our 25th anniversary year. And, and, and the whole earth has been brought into something that is helping resist the demonic powers that would seek to make the earth like unto hell because we know a king is returning and we want to make the earth something that he really enjoys. And so he's doing that on our behalf, but we enter into his labors. And every day, 24-7, it's happening right now. The climate of heaven The endless worship of the beautiful man is causing an atmosphere, I believe, to slowly permeate all of Kansas City and across the earth as tens of thousands of others have entered into this labor in other houses of prayer. So we need to think of this kind of thing, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, that means heavenly places is our supply depot. Before the foundation of the world, God ordained that there would be riches that would be accessible to us, and he scattered them in time and in different realms for us to step into when the time was right and to lay hold of as part of our possession. This is why we need to think like treasure hunters. You know, there are guys that give their lives because they found a map that they think is credible. They spent their life saving on it. Then they go to investors who also love the adventure and the, uh, the profit of finding buried treasure. They raise a million dollars and they go on a quest with this knowledge they have. There's an X on a map. It's been buried and hidden for years but we're going to find that treasure. I believe in these days of inheritance that we need to begin to understand realms are opening. Let me say that again. Realms are opening. On the one hand, Christ has ripped the doors off and we, autom- we have access. I'm not talking about gaining access. I'm talking about a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the timing of God to be spiritually discerning people that move into those realms and begin to operate with the supply that he has stored up for us there. What if there are realms of healing What if there are realms of financial supply? What if there are realms of uh, 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 truth or revelation in terms of things Daniel said would be sealed up to the end? And what if we're in the end and therefore there's an unsealing? What if you are one of those that are meant to get a dream or a revelation in scripture that others bear witness to and we move into a specific part of God's plan that he's been anxiously waiting for us to get to? Well, middle of page two. Hmm. <laughs> I'm just going to try to get through that. Now, you, you, can read, uh, you, you can read through the rest of number one. I want to show you just very quickly. I just want to point you to these other realms. Number two, realms of knowledge. Innovation, technology entrepreneurship, understanding scripture. I already alluded to some of that. I've had dreams recently where the Lord explained one passage to me with another passage that became like a code book 
for me to get insight I just had never seen or had. He just gave me the dream, put the two things together, and a spirit of revelation opened to me to understand those things. Power to make wealth. I'm fascinated by this time when Jesus has to pay taxes. He goes, yeah, just go down, get that fish, (laughs) grab the coin. That's a realm. That's a realm of supply that Jesus walked in. You could say it was a word of knowledge. You could say he caused it to be. I believe that Jesus walked in full understanding and access of every supply line the Father had set up for him in his humanity. Weapons. The Lord has opened his armory, number three, and brought out weapons, for he has a work to do. A friend of mine in Canada, the worship team can come on up. A friend of mine in Canada had a dream where he was sitting with the Father on his throne and then he, he saw off kind of to the corner in this dream, he saw a light, uh, a light pierce the, he just was kind of bothered. He saw this light. The father said, go explore. He went down and he entered a room that was the armory of the throne room. And he said it was giant, way bigger than this room. And the walls were lined with weapons that pulsed with power that was so intense he was terrified to touch one. What are the things, what are the realms of experience and understanding? What are the weapons he has stored up for us in these days? What is it going to take to to properly advance history and resist the enemy's agenda so he doesn't advance it on his timeline, but it advances on the Lord's timeline? Realms of agreement. Realms of old thinking that cause us to want to enter new thinking. I didn't even get to talk about the beauty realm. Perhaps the most important of them all. Realms of wisdom. I encourage you to go through the notes and ponder and pray. Simply too much to go into. But that's fitting if we're talking about the riches of his inheritance. Heaven forbid that I could get through that in one 30-minute message. Can we stand? We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. I don't want to waste time thinking that I lack something. Every spiritual blessing. But he has ordered creation so that the atmosphere and the realm exist before the need 
So if you have a need and you are stuck in that need, yes, he's testing, he's working things out, he's strengthening our muscles, but ultimately we have to see that if we lack something, what we most lack might be the understanding of the realm we need to touch. The supply depot he's made available in the spirit. To go back to some of those prophetic promises that burned in your heart one day, not so long ago or long, long ago, where God said, I've seen you and known you from the beginning. Here's who you are to me. I've stored up something for you. To lay hold of that and enter into those promises. In these days of inheritance, I do not want to be a natural man thinking natural thoughts and proving my folly by not discerning spiritual things. If you have a need, the front is welcome to you. It's open. The ministry team will minister to you. But in particular, I have two groups that are in my heart this morning, this service and next service. If you have turned away from those prophetic promises because they're simply too hard to bear, we want to pray for you that a realm of supply would begin to open to you for your soul and spirit to flourish in the pursuit of that promise. But more tangibly, I actually think the Lord laid this on my heart. If you are a young person That definition changes the older I get, so I don't know how to define that, but I'm going to say 22 to 38 or 20 to 40 or whatever, and you have not been able to buy a home because home prices have gone crazy, interest rates have gone crazy, it feels like that part of maybe an inheritance has been cut out from you and you're just struggling month by month, rent to rent. And you're trying to grow a family and you're trying to put down roots in the house of the Lord, but you can't, you can't buy a home. I want you to be able to buy a home. I think the Lord wants you to possess things in that dimension that can stabilize your life for the long haul. So if that's you, I really want to ask you, age 20 to 40. You could be in your 60s and that could be you. So, But in particular, I think young people are facing challenges I didn't face. So come forward if you are looking to buy a home and if you have promises that you want to ask the Lord to begin to supply in a fresh way for your possession of it. Ministry team, if you could pray for them. And if you have anything else, that's fine. Come forward. But those two groups in particular... Father, we just ask you this morning, open up to us, open up to us the riches of heavenly realms. Thank you for tuning in to Sunday Sermon. For more information, service times, and free teaching resources, visit forerunnerchurch.com.